Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Hope you're all doing well out there. Got VJ Vemu on the line from Bloggable joining me to discuss the Bulls winning streak. Yes, that's right. The Bulls are on a two-game winning streak of all things. So VJ, how are you doing, my friend? Uh, good, Mark. Thank you for having me. Um, I mean, it's weird to see the Bulls on a winning streak, but I mean, I guess you have to have some positives in this season, right? Yeah, we, look, we need the positives. I think the the players and the coaches certainly need the the positivity that comes with wins. And to be honest with you, we're recording this after the Knicks win. I'm I'm actually a little bit hyped, which is, I guess is some short term thinking on my hand. We probably shouldn't be getting too excited at the moment, given that the Bulls have won two games and obviously the team is tanking and trying to rebuild and, and get as high as that. Well, I guess a pick as high as possible. So we don't want them winning too many games, but at the same time, it's been pretty awesome to see the team play a really competitive week and actually uh, sneak out two wins here. Yeah, I know sneaking out two wins, especially after, you know, the disastrous winning streak that they had. So I feel like it's sort of good. At the same time, you know, you want them to tank. But, you know, like, I think after that heartbreaking loss at Indiana, you sort of, like, fans sort of realize that, you know, like, losing games is good and all, but, like, losing heartbreaking games can do numbers on these players, like, their mentality. So, you know, getting these two wins in the way that they did um, seems pretty good. Yeah, look, I I agree 100%. Obviously, we want the team to lose. We don't want them to necessarily uh, start putting together winning streaks. But at the same time, it is important for the team to get some wins and obviously we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the mental side of things of actually having a team that gets some wins occasionally in a rebuilding year so we'll come back to that point but it's been a competitive week this week in Bulls basketball which is actually a good thing the team probably should have won that game against Indiana they they really let that 17 point lead I guess they, they let it drop pretty much in the space of a couple of minutes the paces came back really quickly and the Bulls dropped that game by two points but they bounced back nicely two nights later to beat the Charlotte Hornets once again. So the Bulls had four wins up until that point. I uh, sorry, three wins before that game and happened to beat the Hornets again uh, for the second time they've done that this season. 
quite a quite a good win for the Bulls. And then backing up a night later, back at home against the Knicks, the Bulls had another good win. Almost choked that one away at the end there, but it was another solid win. And I guess the most pleasing thing about these two wins has been the the emergence of Chris Dunn, who is looking more and more like a good player. And it's probably something that I didn't expect. He's starting to exceed my expectations. How have you seen Chris Dunn and his performance over the last week, but in general over the I guess the last two weeks? Um, I think he's been playing like really well. So I think like when it comes to Chris Dunn uh, coming out of the draft and like into the trade, everyone's like, oh, he can be like a plus defender, but can he shoot? Can he make be a playmaker? And that's one thing that's really impressed me so far is his ability to make plays and his ability to shoot consistently. Um, you know, sometimes he's going to have one of those really bad three point attempts that's going to be like, oh, Chris Dunn. But at the same time. Um, he's been playing really well. He's been very aggressive. He's been showing his athleticism, ability to get to the hoop. Um, I re- what I really like is how he's been so aggressive on point guards. Like, you know, like the first Charlotte win, he pl- picked Malik Monk's tw- pocket twice and got two dunks. Uh, he had one today like that. Um, so I've been really impressed with Don. I've been really happy to see someone step up from the trade because I feel like, because, you know, sometimes, you know, I was looking for negatives. It's good to see a positive. Like, I was happy to be wrong about Chris Dunn so far. Uh, but we have to see more of this continue um, if he wants to be a solid starter in the NBA. Uh, but these are good performances. I mean, Dunn's not playing bad at all. Like, he's not going to be the difference difference maker between them and wins. Like, throughout the season, it's going to take more than just Chris Dunn. But seeing good performances from Dunn consistently is something that you would, like, Bulls fans will want to see. Yeah, definitely. And you spoke about his defense, and, and that was the known quantity with, with Chris Dunn when he came over in that trade. As, as you referenced, there was a lot of questions and marks around his offensive game, but defensively, that was something that we already knew that he could do at a really high level in the NBA already. He's obviously proven that again uh, during his Bulls tenure, and to your point, he really shut down Kemba Walker. He held him to, to, to uh, 6 or 15 shooting, just looked much, much bigger than uh, Kemba Walker. Walker couldn't actually get uh, a lot of separation on Dunn, which I guess highlighted his defensive ability. But we already knew that about Dunn, and it was what we wanted to see from him offensively that was really going to convince us skeptics, which I was initially when that trade was made. But he had a 20-point outing against the Charlotte Hornets. I think he had 17 against the Knicks tonight. So two back-to-back games where his scoring output was quite good. Not necessarily the efficiency you wanted to see in that Charlotte game where it was 8 of 24. So, you know, needing 24 shots to score 20 points isn't ideal. But he only had 11 shots in the win against the Knicks and had that 17 points. So just between games and a back-to-back game, you saw that improvement from Chris Dunn offensively, literally in the space of 24 hours. Yeah, it was actually pretty pretty amazing to see that. Um, you know, he had 17 points, 9 assists on 6 of 11 shooting. So like you said, the efficiency was there tonight, 6 of 11, the offseason near 50%. Um, so I think the fact that he's able to bounce back in back-to-back games was very impressive. In fact, this whole Bulls team, if you think about it in back-to-back games, was pretty impressive because you're thinking like about how they had to land in 2 p.m. today of like the game because they were stuck in Charlotte the whole night. Um, so, you know, you could have easily said, oh, this team was going to come out lethargic. They're going to do this, do that. Um, but they didn't. They didn't back down. They've had a good performance at home um, against the Knicks team, which is, you know, it's okay. It has some really good players. Um, but, you know, this was a game like the Bulls are probably primed to lose because they're really, really bad on back-to-backs. But they didn't this time. No, they did. And, and, and a big reason for that was Chris Dunn's energy, um, along with David Noirba. And we'll, we'll come back and talk about Noirba a little bit later on. But 
following on from Chris Dunn's offensive perspective, uh, off- offensive output, I should say, it wasn't just the points. It was the way he's been sort of facilitating the team as well. He had, he had the 12 assists and only the one turnover in the Charlotte game. And against the Knicks tonight, he had the nine assists and only three turnovers. So from, I guess, a, an assist to turnover ratio, he's looking much more much more comfortable out there. He's making better decisions. We're not necessarily seeing those careless turnovers as frequently, which is pleasing to see. And in that in pick and roll, particularly in that Charlotte game, he was pretty much attacking the whole time, was being super aggressive in that pick and roll, and was trying to get into the lane and to the rim on all occasions, whether it was to set up his own shot or to set up the, the three-point shooting on the outside. So that's been very pleasing as well from, I guess, Dunn being a facilitator. I wasn't necessarily expecting him to be, I guess, that good as a facilitator. It wasn't something that, um, yeah, like I said, I was expecting him to be actually quite good at all. But in the last two games, he's had 21 assists in two games. That's really positive whilst keeping those turnovers low. Do you think that's sustainable for Christo? Okay, as a Bulls fan, I hope so. But as someone who's consistently, like, you know, watching the team, analyzing, I don't know. Because, like, the thing about Chris Dunn is I sort of, like, compare him sometimes. Like, this is, like, a really, out, like, outlandish comparison. But, like, Rex Grossman, the former Bears QB, there's, like, a good Rex and then there's a bad Rex. So, like, I think about good Chris Dunn, bad Chris Dunn. So I'm sort of kind of waiting for, like, the bad Chris Dunn. But as long as we can hold that off, that's good. Because I feel like sometimes he gets a little too confident in his abilities sometimes. Or he just doesn't think when he's making a pass um but i do hope that it's sustainable and it's looking like it is sustainable like you said like over these two games but i think we also have to be able to see if he can do it as he gets more comfortable in the starter role when levine comes back how is he gonna act when out with nuwaba there i think it's gonna be a little bit better um i do hope it can be sustainable but at the same time like i don't know because there have been stretches where dunn's been really good like against the phoenix game i think a while back and then he all of a sudden pulled some of like the worst games of his life so I don't know right now with Chris Dunn. It's still a little skeptical because he's still that good good Chris Dunn, bad Chris Dunn. But um, right now it's looking pretty positive. Yeah, definitely. And his numbers reflect that. So in the last five games, he's pretty much averaging 15 points, eight assists, five rebounds, and only 2.6 turnovers, which is really good. And his shooting numbers are quite good as well. So 42% from the field, 36% from the three-point three point line. But if you extend that to the last 10 games, Dunn is just a shade under 14 points, uh, six assists, five turnovers, and uh, sorry, five rebounds and three turnovers, and the shooting numbers actually jump up. So it's still a small sample size, obviously, whether you're looking at five or 10 games, but hopefully as as that becomes 20 or 30 or 40 games that those numbers can maintain, the the shooting percentages probably won't, but I'm hopeful that the assist-to-turnover ratio can stay around that six to seven assists versus, say, two and a half turnovers. If he can manage to do that, that is certainly an improvement for uh, for Chris Dunn, and that that will definitely be bigger than what I thought he was uh, what he was capable to, uh, of doing. So he's he's showing these fla- these flashes, and and as you mentioned just before, and it was a good point that. Once, I guess, Levine is back, it'll be interesting to see what Dunn's role will be at that point. Because at the moment, he's, he, I guess he's afforded the ability of being a high-usage player. So he's in that Charlotte game, he had the 24 shots. I, I very much doubt that he'll be having 24 shots in a game again in his career. I, I certainly hope not. But um, it'll be interesting to see what, how his game develops or, or changes once Levine is back and he becomes more of a lower-usage player. 
Are you a, a little bit worried about his efficiency in that sense when he's probably taking closer to 10 shots a game and you know maybe he, he sort of regresses and only makes three to four uh, of those shots? How do you think he'll sort of, I guess, reintegrate his, his game once Levine is back um, with also Miritic, Nwaba, and, and obviously Larry Markkinen being the, the focus on offense? Yeah, I think that's a really important point talking about like Levine because when Levine comes back, he could arguably be the best offensive player Chicago has. If you think about it, now with Miritich back, um, the Don falls again in the rankings because like it used to be Larry Markin and then whoever would show up that night and then Chris Dunn. And now Chris Dunn's like all the way back a fourth option. So I think, like you said, he's not going to become a high usage player anymore. Like once this team becomes what they are with all full healthy, um, which makes, which arises my question of like, Dunn's going to only start getting his points through probably pick and roll with Lori Markinen, um, or he's going to become a spot-up shooter because like he's not going to have to be that guy anymore, if that makes sense. like He's not going to be the guy who's going to initiate everything because you're going to have Levine, you're going to have uh, Markinen, Brian Place, Miritich is going to be there, you're going to have Nawaba, um, offside action, stuff like that. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how Dunn can play off the ball and if he can consistently find the right shooting stroke and finding himself in the right places or if he can start attacking closeouts, just how he can play without the without the ball. I think that's going to be the biggest adjustment moving forward. Yeah, look, I agree with 100%. And he's shooting 50% from three on his last 10 games, which on two attempts per game, that seems pretty unsustainable given where his career numbers have been and, and how he shot the ball in college. But if he can get comfortable shooting that catch and shoot three, and if he's relegated to more of that fourth option on offense, which is ideally where you want Chris to Chris Dunn to be when we start thinking about the Bulls as maybe a better playoff type team. You hopefully Levine is there and Markinen and whoever they draft in twenty eighteen. But hopefully that's your top three scoring options, and then maybe Dunn can fall in behind that. And, and that's what we're that's why we're talking about him as a low usage player and what he can do when he has less, I guess, possessions to actually score the ball himself. So he really needs to work on that catch-and-shoot game. His free-throw rate needs to increase. It's been up a little bit over the last two games, but we we need to see him, I guess, get a little bit better at drawing some contact. And if he can do that, I think he's well on the way to proving that he can be a starting point guard in this league. And uh, he's sort of... The ball handling issues are still there, but they're starting to regress a little, which is, I guess, another good sign. So... If Dunn can keep this up, I'm I'm happy to eat crow on that, and I'm happy to be sold on him as this team's starting point guard going forward. But yeah, like you mentioned before, we probably need a little bit more of a sample than the first 25 or so games of the season. So here's to hoping Dunn can keep this up, but thus far, it's been super encouraging, and I'm excited to see what he can do going forward. So let's move on to Lowry Markinen, who I guess along with Dunn, has been the biggest or the most impressive ball over the weekend, particularly in that Charlotte game. And I think that's why these wins have been super fun to actually to be watching, even though the team is is winning games and we don't necessarily like, like them winning games at the moment. The way in, in which they're doing it, which is through the younger players, it's super encouraging. And, and Larry Markinen bounced back and had a, a really important game against the Charlotte Hornets and played a really good game tonight against uh, the New York Knicks matching up on... Kristaps Porzingis. So, how do you think Lowry Markkinen has been going? I guess the last two to three games, and, and particularly snapping out of that funk that he's been in. Uh, he's been playing a lot, a lot better than he has. You know, obviously, like you said, snapping out of the funk. I think uh, Casey Johnson of the Tribune reported that you know Lowry was playing with a mild sore back, which is you know a problem that he had at the beginning and causing him some time. 
Um, so playing through the injury, like, you know, it's good for him and all. I think Chicago's also done a really good job getting him the ball, like you said, in that Charlotte game. Like, the first three times it was, like, the ball. Like, they went up the court. It was all plays for Lowry to get the ball. Like, catch and shoot, running through the screens. I know, I think you tweeted about it. You said, I'm here for this. Like, here for Lowry getting the ball. So, I mean, I'm here for that, too. Like, as I think Chicago should try to run some action through him every single play. Um, and, you know, he came out tonight, I think, motivated against Kristaps Porzingis, like a fellow unicorn, you could say. And he blocked him on his, like, I think one of the first attempts of the game. So I think that that was encouraging to see also because you wondered how he would fit defensively against a guy like Porzingis. So I've been really impressed with uh, Markin's offense, the way he's able to shoot. Um, shooting stroke looks amazing. Um, the way he's able to move off the ball too. Um, rebounding, this could be, like, you can get a little bit more from that. But I'm also impressed by his defense as well. Like obviously he's had some lapses, but overall he's playing well. Like you saw against Porzingis, he came out motivated. Um, but especially in these past two games, um, he's really shot it confidently and shot it like someone like, you know, like you, like you would expect him to moving forward if he's the real face of this franchise. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and offensively, he's looked really good, particularly in that Charlotte game. He shot the ball extremely well, hit a lot of threes deep in the game. And like you mentioned, I, I, I made reference, and so did a few other people, that the Bulls were actively trying to not only get him the ball in or deep in the game in that fourth quarter and, and in that overtime period, but they're actually running plays for him. So they're running, I think it was, by my count at least, they ran three horns possessions that were designed to get Lowry marketing a look whether it was a jump shot or a shot in the post or whatever it may be they were actively trying to get him the ball to score which is which when you think about it is, is kind of crazy given the fact that we didn't necessarily have these expectations that Lowry marketing was going to be the go-to guy for the Bulls offense at the end of games before he started playing games once we sort of started seeing what he could do on the court then yeah that's when I guess most of us jumped on and thought okay maybe he can handle that type of load but the fact that they're doing that so frequently now is really pleasing, and I was happy to see Fred Hoiberg running the offense through Markkinen towards the end of the games. But the most pleasing thing that I've that I've definitely seen from him the last two games has been his defense. Now, you, you mentioned his defense on Kristaps Porzingis, which was terrific. He had that block on Porzingis, held him to ten of twenty-five shooting, which is which is really good. And obviously, Porzingis had a few open shots that he clanks, but at the same time. There were a lot of possessions where 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 Markinen was in his grill and he was playing really good solid man to man defense and that's what I like to see. But he, what I what I picked up from the Hornets game was his his ability to guard in space and uh, I, I made a post about this on Bulls HQ. But I, this is something that I just did not expect from Markinen before the draft. I guess when I was scouting him personally, I didn't expect him to be able to I guess switch onto wings. As a rookie, as a 20-year-old, and be able to actually hold his own in switches. So that's just crazy, and and he continues to show us these things that, I guess, impress. And uh, what have you made about his ability to actually switch onto guards on defense? Like, that to me is just completely mind-blowing. Yeah, for me too as well. Like, um, I remember writing something for Bloggable when it came to like looking at Laurie Market and what he can do in space and stuff like that. So I remember initially writing before the season began, after they drafted him, like, oh, what can he do? And like looking at the draft express videos and all the stuff like that. Um, he certainly could switch on easily. It wasn't like he was going to be, um, like it was going to be a complete mismatch, but like, and his wingspan really, really helped 
when it came to like covering guards. But at the same time, I was wondering like how could he, could he rely on foot speed, um, like initial movement? Like would he be fine being on an island for such a long period of time? Because you see like all the time, like sometimes when you have bigs, you switch on and eventually, like if you wait long enough, they're going to crack. Like Laurie's not like that. He's able to guard in space. Um, so I'm really, really happy with the way, like you said, he was guarding in space. And if he's able to take away those matchups, then that's something really, really, really good. Like, you know, Taj Gibson was able to take away matchups like that. Obviously, Laurie is nowhere near the defender Taj is when it comes to switching. Or even Joakim, someone like Joakim Noah. But if he can be at least half of, uh, half of that throughout his career, I think that'll certainly be a plus because it'll make him a plus defender. Um, and also, like, regarding the matchup against Kristaps, it seems like Laurie took it sort of personally, I think. Like, you know, like, you know, cause there's that, Kristaps is someone that people have compared Laurie to. It's like, oh, if he can reach Kristaps' level, he'd be very, very good. So I think Laurie had something to prove. Um, but his defense is certainly something I always look out for. Um, I think that he also needs to improve some muscle, so it gets more muscle, so he can, um, out-rebound guys. Um, but other than that, I think it's pretty, it's pretty solid defense, um, defense overall from Laurie Markkinen. Yeah, and look, I just want to emphasize how how completely ridiculous it is for a twenty year old big man to to be doing that at his age, and still learning defensive NBA defensive schemes. Like that, that that's the thing. He's not like a twenty three, twenty four year old that's had uh, or who's been seasoned in the NBA to sort of understand how to 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 guard these pick and roll plays in. But he's learning it on the fly, and it's, he must be a super quick learner because uh, what he's doing is just ridiculous. Now, you, you mentioned his, his physical traits, and I was concerned that he may not be able to move well enough laterally, but he, he's definitely proven to us that he, that he can do that. But, but even if he can have the, physicals to, the physical tools to, to sort of guard that switch, having the smarts to guard that switch is maybe even more important. But um, he, he's shown that already, which is... Yeah, like I said before, it's completely insane, and I wanted to emphasize that because we we talk about marketing and shooting, we talk about what he can be offensively, but maybe more importantly, defense is what may market may what may make marketing sorry even more important to the Chicago Bulls. The fact that he's not necessarily going to be a sieve defensively, and um, he may not even be average. He could be actually quite a good defender. So that changes really the, the entire complexion or the entire the curve that he's on as a player so that's something i want to keep seeing from marketing because it's something that's been completely uh completely insane and something i didn't expect to this extent this soon so really pleasing to see but let's talk about david Waber now probably my favorite at the moment he's re, re uh, reinsertion into the rotation after that ankle injury has been uh, a welcome addition. He's been huge. The energy from the team, which you referenced before, particularly on a back-to-back, that that was that was critical in the win against the Knicks. And I'm not sure that's possible without David Nwaba. What have you seen from Nwaba, and, and uh, what are you liking from his from his game at this point? Um, I really like Nwaba. I think I don't know how much of a hot take this is, but I do see if Chicago does end up building like a contender through this rebuild, that David Nwaba will still probably be on the roster. Which I don't know if you can say about most of the guys. I think Nawab would be a solid six man off the bench for this contending Chicago team just because of the energy that he gives, his ability to like move without the ball. Um, I think that's something that all the Chicago's young players should look and see how David Nawaba moves out of the ball. Yeah, he doesn't shoot a lot, but he also makes a lot of good hustle plays and that's how he gets his points. Like he had 15 points tonight, I believe, on a six and nine shooting and five assists and five rebounds, sorry. Um, so I think that's just, and you, you saw like the hustle plays, like he had a steal in one end and he came all the way down and dunked on someone in another. Like that was, that was an amazing play. And you just see him 
a hustle, um, hustle his butt off on both both ends of the court. And um, I think he's been a really solid contributor. It's a really cheap pickup by Garpax, honestly. Um, and seeing a guy that can, obviously, like I said earlier, like move without the ball, that's crucial, especially with Chicago's offense, which is known to get stagnant at times. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. So the Bulls do have the, I guess, the tendency to really get stuck in that half-court offense. There's not a lot of movement with certain when, when there are certain rotations out there. I'm, I'm thinking when Denzel Valentine and Justin Holiday on the court together on the wings. There's not a lot of off-ball movement from those guys, so it's really noticeable when David Nwaba checks into the game and is using his athleticism to really cut baseline and to, to be a constant mover of not only the ball, but his body as well. So that's really, really awesome to see. But more on top of that, his defense is just... It's really engaging, and it's really, I guess... Um, it, it really feeds into every other player out there. And when you have Chris Dunn out there with... David Waba, all of a sudden you've got two really strong defenders on the wings. And at, uh, on one of those David Waba slams, there was a, a play there tonight against the Knicks where Chris Dunn stole the ball off Chris Dapps Pozingis and sort of had that outlet pass for that huge Nwaba slam. And, and that was just awesome. That was, that was probably the most hyped I've been all season about a Bulls uh, possession, to be honest with you. And, and it literally came in the span of two seconds just because of the energy that guys like Dunn and uh, Nwaba can bring to a game. So he's been a welcome addition, as has Nikola Mirotic's return from his broken face. <laughs> he's played two games now, played the, the played the back-to-back, and had a maybe not so great game against the Charlotte Hornets himself in terms of his shooting percentages, but bounced right back against the Knicks, having 19 points, hitting five threes, and was huge off the bench in his 20 minutes. And um, he's really along with Nawaba, changed the entire complexion of that bench. Do you think that the Bulls now have a more credible bench that will be able to keep them in games longer now that Nawaba and Miritic are back and, and likely playing minutes? Yeah, certainly, because um, guys like, you know, you, there's not going to be guys that you don't know, I think, coming off the bench, not like Miritic, Nawaba, like familiar faces. Um, so you want to have guys like Quincy Pondexter or like even Antonio Blakeney, who still needs a lot of work uh, coming off the bench. Um, and I'm I mean, less minutes for Bobby Portis, I guess, too. That sort of helps. Um, you want to have guys like Ryan Archidiakno, where guys are like, oh, my God, who is that? Like, you know, basically not NBA players playing on the court. Um, so I think having Miritich and Nawaba helps because you have one guy like Miritich who can is a playmaker and a three-point shooter, and you have a guy like Nawaba who can move off the ball. So you get the best of both worlds in terms of that. Um, I really like Miritich's game today. I think they drew up a play for him, like, the first time he checked in. Like a baseline out of bounds play, like sideline out of bounds play, and he just caught the three and swished it. Uh, or I don't know if he caught, actually, I don't know if he made it, but I know that they drew up a play for him. So that was, that was a pretty telling sign, I thought. Um, but yeah, like to your point, um, their, their bench has gotten a lot better. I think they got what a good, good, good chunk of their points from their bench tonight. Uh, they got 19 from Miritich, they got 15 from Nawaba, 10 from Portis, 4 from Zipser, and 6 from Grant. So, um, I think that does help. The guys coming back does give Fred Hoiberg sort of like a log jam when it comes to his rotation because he can play a lot of guys. But at the same time, he has to be keep playing Nawab and Miritich if he doesn't want these games to turn ugly because they usually turn ugly in like the second quarter or the start of the fourth quarter when these bench units roll out. And you can super see like how these bench units of other teams are vastly superior to Chicago's. Or if he finds like a mismatch where he has some of the bench players playing against the starters on the other team, then it's then it's like game over. That's what we saw, I think, against against teams like Houston or teams sorry, teams like Golden State and like teams like superior teams where you can just tell like their benches are so much better than Chicago's that they just get blown out. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and, and Hoiberg deserves some credit, I think, here in terms of how he's managed the rotations. Um, with Nwaba, we've, we've seen Nwaba actually closing games. The last two games, he's been closing on the wings. Denzel Valentine has been the starting small forward, but he hasn't necessarily had high-minute games. So he only had the 19 minutes against the Knicks, and I believe it was the 24 minutes against the Charlotte Hornets. Whereas Nwaba had around the 31, 32 minutes in both of those games, and he was the one that was playing deep in those games. So I like that adjustment from Fred Hoiberg. He's obviously starting Valentine and leaving Valentine out there if Valentine is playing a good game, but he hasn't necessarily had the best shooting um, the best shooting games the last two games was 0-5 from um, from the field tonight against the Knicks, 3-7 against the Hornets. So he didn't necessarily have the best two or the two best shooting games. And if he's not necessarily shooting the ball well from the three-point line, there really isn't a reason for Denzel Valentine to be out there. Whereas someone like David Nwaba, even if he's not shooting that well, he does provide a lot. So credit to Hoiberg for playing Nwaba, who has definitely been the better player at this point. And he's been and he's been worthy of finishing those games, but I've liked the way Hoiberg has managed the front court rotation as well. What have you seen from Hoiberg in terms of how he's sort of been massaging Miritich back into the rotation and how that's affected, I guess, the big man up front and and how that's sort of uh, played out. Yeah, I think sometimes like you know it's hard to criticize Fred Hoiberg sometimes because he makes some really bad decisions, but you know he's been doing good with the rotation. Like you said, he's not playing Valentine a lot. Which I think sort of sometimes helps, depends on, because, you know, he had, he had zero points in that on 05 shooting and 03 from the field. He did have five rebounds and was a plus four, but at the same time, he didn't score anything and just couldn't seem to buy a basket. So I do credit him for, you know, like sticking it out with the hot hand or the better player, which is Nawaba in this situation, because um, you do need defense and you do need a guy like that in late game situations. Um, I do think he's doing well easing Meritich back in. He's only had 20, 20 minutes tonight. Uh, so, you know, like, obviously, no one expects Nico to still, like, you know, jump out of the hospital bed and all of a sudden start dropping, like, 30 points on teams. Or, like, all of a sudden just get 35 minutes of action. So, I think Hoiberg's been smart about his rotations. Uh, he's not, obviously, Quin- uh, Quincy Pondexter and Cristiano Felicio got uh, DMPs, coaches' decisions today. Um, I mean, that's those were justified. Both of them have not been the greatest players um, when they've came on for Chicago. And, obviously, now with the return of Miritich, return of Nawaba, there's your big man. There's your... Um, there's your wing player, and um, I think that he's done well with his rotations. Um, he even flirted with Miritich, I think, or Markman at the five today, which is something I really liked. I really like to see. I think I think you did too. Yeah, definitely. And I was, I'm happy you brought it up because I was definitely going to bring it up. But it's something I wanted to see uh, Hoiberg do. Now, obviously, the Bulls have a bit of a, a front court logjam, I guess. It helps that Cristiano Felicia isn't playing very well, so it makes it easier to to cut that rotation back to four players with Miritich and Portis being those reserve big men. So that helps to a degree that he has been that bad, that he's like not playing him is quite justified. But what Hoiberg has been doing, um, at least in this Knicks game, was, was flirting with the idea of playing Miritich at center, which was really nice to see. I didn't really want the Bulls at all to explore any situation where they put Miritich at small forward to make him get minutes there. Uh, that that I think would be a terrible idea. And thankfully, over the last two games, at least, we haven't seen that from Fred. If we were going to move Miritich out of any position that wasn't power forward, I wanted to see him at center. And we saw a little bit of that. It wasn't a lot. I, I guess it's it was probably only like two to three minutes in total. So there's not a lot of data there for us to sort of break down at this point how successful the, the Miritich and Markin and pairing was or, or how good it can be. But at the same time, 
I like that he did that. So he deserves credit for that from me at least because I thought it was a good move. And from a spacing perspective, that's that's probably the best way the Bulls can in, in, invert the offense to have Markkinen out there with Miritich, two guys that can shoot from from downtown. And I'm, I'm assuming that will make the life of someone like Chris Dunn and even Zach Levine when he returns so much easier when they want to drive to the basket. So hopefully that continues. And uh, yeah, like you said, Miritich was in at center and he was playing some minutes against Cantor. So we'll see if that can hold up going forward. But um, do you think he's made the right decision in making Bobby Portis the backup center and Miritich back up power forward. Is, is that how you would have played it out? Uh, I think so at this point, right? I think uh, Portis at the five does work. Although I th- I do, I, I am intrigued about like Miritich at the five because that does invert the offense, like you said. And the like, you know, obviously the cliche quote, like this is the way the NBA is moving. But I think Chicago should start looking at that trend because, um, you know, two guys can shoot, opens up the floor for everything. And spacing is the one thing that like, Bulls fans, I think, crave offensively because last year, Jimmy Butler, Dwayne Wade, space eaters, basically, and Rondo, there was like no, you couldn't breathe on the court when you walked into the paint. So I think spreading teams out is something, too, because you have these athletic guys like Nawabla, back-cutting guys, you're going to have Levine when he comes back, Dunn when he comes back. Um, I do think that's how they would have, I would have worked it because, um, obviously, I mean, actually, I'm going to take that back. I think you would have sort of flipped it around. You should have had Bobby come at the backup four and probably Miritich play at the five because you can have a stretch four, stretch five. You can probably interchange like that way. But I think he's done, he's done a, Forberg's actually done a good job so far. Obviously, Felicio being absolutely terrible has not, has not made this decision any harder for him. Otherwise, I would say Felicio should probably be the backup center and then Portis slides behind, uh, Miritich. But I think he's done good so far. Um, has done good when it comes to managing both of their minutes and how he manages the big man rotation. But like I said, the big thing also it helps is like Felicia is not playing very well at all. Yeah, exactly, and 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 that makes the decision a lot easier for Hoiberg to play Portis at center over over Cristiano Felicio. And 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 look, to be fair to Bobby Portis, he he deserves those minutes at at center. He's mm-hmm, been yeah. a lot better than Felicio, so I think. Fred Hoiberg is making the right decision there, even though we know that Portis at center probably isn't the best, I guess, structural decision defensively. Portis isn't a, a rim protector. He's not really good at moving his feet and helping in pick and roll. So we, we sort of know already that it's not necessarily going to be the most fruitful decision to have Portis at center. But of the two players there, um, be it Portis or Felicio, he deserves those minutes. So I think that's fair. And and what I've sort of seen from, from Fred is, Depending on who's playing better, whether it's Portis or Miritich, that'll be the guy that gets some extended minutes as the backup center. So in that Charlotte game, Bobby Portis played more than uh, than Nikola Miritich, and he was playing. Or he, they effectively played the same amount of minutes, but but yeah, uh, Portis got those backup center minutes even when um, Markkinen was on the court uh, on occasions. He and he also shared minutes at power forward with Robin Lopez, whereas tonight. Uh, Fred went with Miritich at backup center on possessions when game uh, when Larry Markkinen was on the court. So I think he's going to sort of flip it around between who he plays more at backup center, be it Portis or Miritich, depending on who has the hot hand or who he's playing that ball, better ball game. And tonight it was Miritich who had the better game, and and Fred really extended that lineup. Um, yeah, I think he's center. just going with the hot hand. Yeah, so. exactly. And and I th- I think that's the right approach, and and he's managing that quite well. Another thing he managed well, I thought, tonight was the point guard rotation. So Chris Dunn was really good with his 17 points. 
uh, seven rebounds and nine assists. But we also should give some um, some props to Jerry and Grant as well, who had the nine assists off the bench in 18 minutes. So that's another good performance. So I guess Fred was able to, to I guess, manage the rotations well enough where he was getting good performance out of Chris Dunn, but at the same time, he was able to get something from his backup point guard. Now, obviously, that makes his life easier when when uh, both point guards are playing well at the same time, but I thought he managed that dynamic quite well tonight as well. Yeah, I thought he did really well when it came to managing the minutes of both um, Dunn and Grant because, you know, like sometimes when we used to see it was, oh, one would play well and the other wouldn't wouldn't play well. Well, tonight they both technically play well. Even Grant did in his only 18 minutes of action. He scored six points, but he also dished out nine assists, was being like that playmaker that they need off the bench. Especially with Miritich coming back, you have that guy who could score. Now you just need a guy who can assist. So, and Grant was doing that. Um, I think so is another um, attribute to Hoiberg. Um, uh, that he's managing these minutes well, like he's just going with the hot hand. He's making the right decisions. Like every, he's making that's what he's actually. He's just making the right decisions at the right time when it comes to playing with uh, guys' minutes and rotations. So I do think believe that like playing the hot hand does work, especially for some of these young guys to get their confidence levels up and also help some of these young guys um, play in crunch time situations like Markin and Dunn. Um, guys are going to be like the future of the team. They're going to have to get used to playing these close games because like not every game is going to be a blowout one way or another. Yeah, exactly. And that's probably a good segue into the next point that I want to talk about is, I guess, the Bulls being in these close games and I guess learning from those close games is really important for a rebuilding team, but it's also important for a rebuilding team to actually occasionally win those close games. We've already talked about before that we don't necessarily want the Bulls winning too many games. Obviously, the the primary objective of this season outside of player development is to get as high as pick of a of possible in the 2018 draft so we can get maybe a Luka Doncic or or out of DeAndre Ayton to this team but at the same time you don't want necessarily to have a you don't want the team to go 10 and 72 or something like that and the players really sort of start folding on themselves mentally and and, and sort of I guess going back into a shell and regressing as players that's not that's not what you want in a rebuilding team either so it is good for the team to eke out some wins here they've, they've got the two wins in in, in two days here but how important do you think a, a wins like this are for a team like the Bulls and, and, and tough wins as well? Like This one came down to almost the last possession, basically. The Bulls could have lost that game. Kristaps Porzingis missed that game-winning shot. But the Bulls were able to find a way to win the game. And, and that's really important for guys like Mark and, and Dunn, at least in my opinion. But uh, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I thought it was really important. Uh, regarding Kristaps' last shot, I thought that was an A-plus shot that he got. Um, he should have probably made that, in my opinion. But um, they escaped with the win. I think, considering like how bad this losing streak was, like there were some really ugly games that were going on during this losing streak. And especially losing in Indiana the way they did. Uh, you know, Losing the ball and also seeing Oladipo just hit up a pull-up three was uh, probably gut-wrenching. It was gut-wrenching for me to watch. Because, um, and you know, as much as we like, like, you know, to give the Bulls crap for losing a bunch of games and being horrible, like, this is what they have to do in order to, you know, get like a Luka Doncic or DeAndre or Marvin Bagley, like you said. Um, but I think these games are important for their mental strength, right? Because sort of when, like, like in the Charlotte game, the first Charlotte game, when Kemba Walker missed that layup right off the rim, um, and they, Laura grabbed the rebound, hit the two free throws and, you know, drive home safely. Um, I think that was missed another losing streak, and I think it sometimes shows um, it's sort of needed with these players that you know that you you can actually win games and you can beat these teams now, so that you will have the confidence that you can do it moving forward. Because you know some players will be like, oh, but if we did it when we were so bad back then, why what makes it now so different? So 
I think as much as like you know we need the Bulls to be really horrifically bad in order like to secure that top spot uh, mentally, it, it would do a number on them to go like ten and seventy two. As funny as it would be um, to see them go like the invert of what the old Jordan Bulls did, I think it would do a number. Like it would make players start doubting themselves. Like oh, how good are we? So I think like you know getting a win, winning streaks like this every once in a while is pretty good. I think it's what the fans need. It's what the players need to um because you know like it's always hard to talk about the bulls losing every single time it has to as opposed to winning yeah i uh, 100 agree and i guess the the easiest example of, of what we're talking about here is is chris dunn tonight against the knicks actually stepping up to the free throw line at the end there he got that questionable call where he drove to the line but he, he got the foul call which was good to see we we, we talked about before how we want to see chris dunn drawing more contact and getting to the line more he did that on the one of the last possessions there, and he stepped up to the line and sunk two free throws that effectively put the Bulls in place to win the game. Now, had the game been a blown out and he got to the line and those free throws maybe don't mean a ton, are we really talking about that? But in this instance here, he got to the line, he made a nice play, got to the line, got the, draw, uh, the foul call, and actually stepped up and made those free throws. So that is hugely important for someone like Chris Dunn and his development. Not only did he get to the line, but he made the free throw. So they're two areas that he hasn't necessarily been good good at this so far in his Bulls tenure. So that's hugely important, and, and it came in a win. So he can walk away after this game feeling quite good about himself, not, not, not only just in his general performance, but the fact that he was able to step up there and, and almost conquer something that he didn't have in his game previously or uh, conquer a fear that he had. He may have had. He, he, he's, he hasn't been the best at drawing those, those free throws, but maybe this gives him the confidence to start getting even more aggressive and getting to the line more often, and that's what you want to see, and that's the importance that a win uh, that a win can have it for a development team uh, or a developing team I should say now having said that as we've sort of said we don't want them winning too many games and with Nwaba being back and Miritic um, being back on the bench now as well it makes the team a lot more competitive but let's 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 fast forward even maybe two three weeks out from here when Zach Levine is back how bad is this team or, or put put a little bit differently how good is this team and assuming they're playing as hard as what they did tonight against the Knicks and as well as the Charlotte game and if they consistently do consistently do that are they going to be too good to have a bottom three record see that's what I'm thinking I don't it's a really tough one because like you know you're looking at the bottom team Chicago Atlanta Dallas Memphis Sacramento Phoenix Charlotte Clippers Orlando Brooklyn those are the bottom 10 teams right now if you think of Chicago if when Levine comes back how many teams is Chicago better than I could think of like maybe I think they're better than Atlanta Dallas and possibly Memphis you know seeing how they move Marcus and stuff like that so I still think they're in that top four range but they're teetering I feel like I don't want to like go ahead and say like the Bulls are too good to tank but at the same time I feel like if they're playing like this could they possibly mess up their lottery odds yeah totally I can totally see them messing up the lottery odds if this happens but at the same time I feel like they're like enough bad players or they're not enough consistent players or and they'll have these games where they'll be like the worst team on the planet and um they'll be good enough to tank um i don't think they're going to be able to maintain this number one spot position as like the worst team and getting that number one spot but i do expect them to be hovering around like that three four range yeah i mean that's a fair take now given that they've won the the two games in the row they're only i guess well they've got five wins the atlanta hawks have the six wins uh dallas are at seven wins and memphis and the kings are at eight so 
the Bulls have sort of closed that gap to a degree. Now, as you sort of said, it'll be interesting to see whether they remain a bottom three to four team when Levini's back or or how that shapes up. But I, I am slightly concerned, I guess, <laughs> yeah, that, they, that they may be a little bit better than what I thought they would be, particularly with Miritic and Waba being back and being better than what I thought they would be so soon. And then when you add Levine to that, then maybe maybe they do become a better team. And all of a sudden, they, they do have a lot more talent on a t- than a team like Atlanta or a team like Sacramento. Whether they can perform like a better team than those teams is up for debate, but... Um, they're not necessarily going to have a playoff push or here all of a sudden, so we don't have to worry about them getting out of the lottery. But that rotation could be the difference between having, say, the second pick and the fifth pick, and that's obviously going to be problematic as well. So how do you think the Bulls manage that, if if at all? Do you think they're comfortable in getting the fifth pick and running with that, or do you think they'll put some measures in place to ensure that they remain a bottom you know, three team, let's call it? Well, I hope so. They don't get that top five pick because that the, the fifth picks. I'm sorry, um, because that'll be absolute disaster, in my opinion. Um, because I think once you go out, Doncic, Aiton, Bagley, probably Mobamba. Like they're obviously like in every draft, like we saw with this year's draft. Actually, actually, when we were thinking about this year's draft before the draft actually happened, we saw the players play, and then there's this drop from false ball all the way down, and like you can see that like after like the top three picks, there's a drop in talent. Like you what, might not get that generational talent or that all-star cornerstone that you need um so i am worried that if they do get this fifth pick like who will they take will they take like a miles bridges like a type of guy like that was a guy who's thought to go next year um and i think that was something like uh ricky o'donnell who also writes at bloggable was talking about like you know the bulls also need to secure a top three pick because then it's anyone's game in terms of who's going to get selected because usually because in this draft especially there's a certain slotting order okay one of these three guys or one of these four guys so, and I don't, I mean, can we, we can doubt the Bulls of scouting department based on their past records and, dra- and drafts and stuff like that. So if I, if the Bulls were to get no, that number five pick, I'll be very, very scared as to who they get. Yeah. So let, let, let's hope that, uh, let's hope that they don't, uh, that they don't get that number five pick and whether the front office has to intervene to ensure that is the case, then let, let's see how it plays out. Maybe we're overreacting because the team has won two games and we're we're living in the moment and uh, being a bit uh, reactionary of sorts. So let's see what um, what uh, they'll be doing coming up. So they've got three tough games coming up against the Boston Celtics, Utah Jazz, and, and then the Milwaukee Bucks on the road, followed by the Sixers after that. So that's three or four rather, I guess, playoff-type teams. So maybe the Bulls can get on another losing streak and help us, I guess, shore up that tank a little bit better. We don't want to see that winning two-game winning streak extend into three or four or anything crazy like that. Yeah, that would be that would though... be pretty bad in my opinion. Yeah, like, as much as we want Chicago win. Yeah. So um, look, let's hopefully they can keep playing a competitive brand of basketball. At the same time, we've got to keep our eyes on the prize, which is a top three pick. We want to see the players develop at the same time, but the unnecessary wins is probably problematic, even though. Like like we talked about before, it is it is important to have the occasional win, not only for us us fans, but also for the coaches and players as well. But um, as I said, they've got four toughish games coming up um, before they walk into games against the Orlando Magic, um, which probably would be a win at this point, followed by um, another tough three-game stretch against the Cavs, the Celtics, and the Bucks. So there's the next ten games or so. I think the Bulls have an opportunity to go about two and eight or so. So fingers crossed, fingers crossed. But um, we'll see how that transpires. 
Yeah, certainly because like you know they're playing after they play that Magic game. They're gonna be playing the Cavs, the Celtics again. I think the Bucks, uh, Knicks, Pacers, Wizards. Like these are like Blazers, Raptors. Like obviously they might eat, the Mavs. I think on uh, January fifth they might eat out a win. I'm like looking at the schedule at least till like the seventeenth of January where they play the Warriors. And there's not many teams where I'm like, okay, Chicago has like a real chance at winning. So. Um, yeah, we might be a bit reactionary and thinking about, you know, oh, like what happens. But at the same time, like if you compare the rosters, Chicago's is not good compared to like even like um, some mediocre teams in the NBA right now. So um, I do think once Levine comes back and we see how they play after like a first couple of games, like maybe like the first like 10 games after Levine comes back, then I think we can make a correct assessment as to how good Chicago is and how bad that is for them. Yeah, look, I think you're right. So obviously we're going to enjoy these two games and we'll take away what we're seeing from Chris Dunn and Larry Markner and really lap that up. But at the same time, we probably shouldn't get too carried away thinking this team's going to start winning, um, you know, three, four, five games in a row or anything like that and jeopardizing the future. But it is definitely going to be something interesting to watch to see how how good this bench has made this team now and whether they've closed the gaps between, I guess, that first and second quarter, which is where the Bulls traditionally... I guess, fell off. So if they can be remain a, a little bit more competitive and that defense stays the, as, as good as it has been, then I think the Bulls can stay in games. But like we said, hopefully not win too many games. But uh, we shall see. So that just about does it of all the things I wanted to, to discuss today. So I really appreciate you jumping on the podcast, VJ. Can you tell uh, the listeners out there where they can uh, follow you online? Uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, I really appreciate this. Um, the Bulls HQ podcast is one of the podcasts I also listen to, so I really appreciate this, Mark. Um, you can follow me uh, at VJVMU, V-J-V-M-U um, on Twitter. Um, also, you can check out my work at uh, bloggable.com, where I mean, I'm usually writing uh, play breakdowns and stuff like that uh, for a day after, a day after um, a certain game. So um, follow me on uh, Twitter and check out my work. Yeah, do that. Follow VJ on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at NKHoops. Um, I've also made a Twitter account for the podcast, so follow follow that uh, at Balls HQ Pod. We're on Twitter now, so trying to bump up that uh, the follow account there. So if you could follow us, that would be appreciated. And if you have a moment as well, just jump online on the iTunes rankings and and give us a review. That would be well appreciated as well. So th- VJ, really appreciate you coming on the show, mate, and uh, helping me discuss Bulls basketball. No problem, man. Thank you for having me. Thank you, mate. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.